Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for another episode, and I want to kick things off here by offering a sweet giveaway. Our friend Melissa Wood, illustrator of The Architecture of the Cocktail, just sent along a really amazing signed print from another one of her books, The Architecture of the Shot, and we're going to give one lucky listener the chance to win it this week. It's a red and white 11-inch by 17-inch print in Melissa's signature architectural style. It's very modern looking and would really add a nice splash of sophisticated color to any bar or living room. So here's what you got to do to win this signed print. Head on over to our Instagram account at Modern Barcart sometime during the afternoon on the day this podcast drops, which will be Thursday, June 21st, 2018. We're going to post a picture of the print, and you'll have until the end of the day on Friday, June 22nd, to do the two things that will put you in the running. One, follow Melissa Wood at mwoodpen on Instagram. She'll be tagged and mentioned. And then tag three friends in the comments who also enjoy cocktails or nerdy architectural art. We do these giveaways to kind of spread the word about our company and our podcast. And the nice thing is that the selection pool is still pretty small. So you've got a much better chance at being selected than if you were to call into your local radio station for concert tickets or something like that. And finally, if you haven't listened to our interview with Melissa Wood, open up your podcasting app and download episode 49 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast and give that a listen. It's a great interview, really awesome conversation with Melissa. And now, as we like to do here, I think it's time for you to make yourself a drink. Today's featured cocktail is the Daiquiri, which is a classic, elegant, and simple cocktail traditionally made with white rum, and it's an excellent little bit of relief from all this hot weather we've been getting here on the East Coast. To make one, you'll need two ounces of white rum, one ounce of fresh lime juice, and a half to three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. And I like to leave a little variability in the syrup recommendations to allow for differences in personal preference, or if you happen to be using a rich simple syrup instead of a classic simple ratio. These are things that might affect whether you wanna put in a half or three quarters of an ounce. Uh, another factor is also your relationship with sourness. Uh, a full ounce of fresh citrus juice is really gonna make it a tart cocktail, so dialing up the sweetness just a little bit might make it um, a little bit better balanced for your palate, depending on what you like. Prepping the drink is rather simple. You just combine all those ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, you give it a good shake, and you strain your daiquiri into a stemmed cocktail glass. I like it in a coupe, but you can get away with anything that has a stem, and you get bonus points if you can find a way to pre-chill your glass in advance. One simple way to do that would be to fill the glass with water and ice, maybe 10, five, 10 minutes before you make the cocktail, then discard the ice water before you strain the cocktail. Now, we've got our own signature spin on the daiquiri using our Typhoon Tiki Bitters by Embitterment. I find that adding just a dropper full of these really brings a surprising amount of complexity to your daiquiri. So if you want, head on over to the recipe section of our website, check out that recipe. And the cool thing is you can even download a PDF of the recipe card straight to your desktop for sharing or remembering purposes. Of course, if you wanna grab a bottle of the Typhoon Tiki Bitters, you can also pick one of those up straight from modernbarcart.com. So, now that you've got your daiquiri in hand, let's turn our attention to this week's topic, cocktails on the move. I was able to get a little quality time with the globetrotting MBA earning co-founder of Modern Bar Cart, Ethan Hall. And so we pulled up a mic and ran through some best practices for getting your cocktail on when you're not at home or at a nice cocktail bar. 
This is essentially a cocktail MacGyvering episode where we run through some of the tools and tips that have effectively gotten us buzzed in suboptimal cocktailing situations. Some of the things Ethan and I discuss include cocktails on trains and planes, essentially how to get your bitters past the TSA, flasked and batched cocktails, a rundown of my mobile cocktail command center to give you some ideas about the tools I use to make drinks when I take modern bar cart on the road at events, how to condense your liquor collection when you're about to make large scale or permanent moves, how to use tube socks to safeguard your most precious liquid possessions and much, much more. Always great to catch up with Ethan and his dog, Bo, who joined us for this recording session. So with that, I'll get out of the way here and let you enjoy this spirited conversation with Modern Barkart co-founder, Ethan Hall. Ethan, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be a recurring guest here. Yes, we're trying to get more recurring guests on, and uh, it's always great to catch up with our Modern Barkart co-founder, uh, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about travel cocktails and uh, you're rolling back through DC after having traveled all around recently after finishing up your MBA at uh, Vanderbilt University. And so uh, I want to dig into some of the cool places that you traveled and also just get your feedback on the best ways to get your cocktail on when either resources or time or liquor are limited. So we'll dig into that today, but I wanted to start by just kind of asking, where have you been? What have you been up to? Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of the typical things you do when you don't have a normal adult life, which is you know find ways to go take long trips uh, that I'll probably not ever get to do once I'm a working adult, possibly with children, definitely with a dog. Um, so right now I'm in the mid midpoint of a pretty long road trip I'm taking up and down the East Coast. I uh, came up from Nashville in the last week and I'm about to head over to Europe for about a week and a half just to you know, see Berlin and see some, see some things in Western Europe that are probably going to elude me for the next few years. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so you're up and down the East coast now where you've been jet setting a little bit too, right? Yeah. So one of the things, and we'll, we'll touch on this a lot is I, I tend to travel a lot for business reasons as well as take my um, fair share of vacations. And I think those are both equally good times to exercise different um, travel drinking modes, travel drinking rules, depending on how you want to describe it. You know, there are times when you go to a destination city. I you know, just went to Dublin a few months ago, and that's obviously a drinking destination city for many, many of us, um, but not necessarily the way that you would think about your typical cocktail experience. Right, right, for sure. Uh, so obviously your destination has something to do with it. Um, where else have you been? You've been Denver, right? Yeah. So in terms of some of the places I would say um, were most noteworthy in supporting my habit uh, without too much effort on my own, I was pleasantly surprised. I think I had always gotten the idea that Denver is one of those, you know, one of those premier craft brewery cities in the country. Uh, they have a little bit of everything. Of course, I was a little bit ignorant to the number of distillers and just great bars going up um, all over that city. I did not come prepared with a list, but I'll throw some. Uh, I'll throw a bunch of links to you in the show notes to give you credit. Um, a notable experience was when I got an entire bar to start drinking Chinar with me. Um, <laughs> And I think that came from a bit of an overheard uh, an overheard question about whether uh, they would be willing to change the ratios up in their, um, they had a pre-batched black Manhattan and I felt it wasn't black enough. Gotcha, gotcha. So you got an entire bar to start drinking Chinar, which is, uh, for those of you listening out there who are not familiar with it, it's a bitter aperitivo using artichoke as one of the main components, right? Yeah, to be fair, it was really more, uh, I bought 16 chinars for the people around me and we all enjoyed it together. And you know, I get a, I get a bit of a kick when I get to see, um, see people try to taste really bitter things for the first time, but it was enjoyable. How did I, I gotta imagine when you do that in a, in a cocktail bar setting, the karma does come back to you. Did you at least get like a free plate of fries out of that or something? Um, no, I did have someone buy me a Negroni, which was a very nice thing. You know, it's a, a more, 
a more informed crowd uh, will pop up at those kind of spots. But this was more of a trendy restaurant that just so happened to have a really good beverage program. So it was a pleasant surprise, to be honest. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so Denver, Tour de East Coast, Dublin. Any other noteworthy destinations in your recent travels? Yeah, so obviously this is a well-worn path, and I'm not trying to leave anyone out. I know you've got listeners all over, and um, they would love shout-outs for the great drinking cultures of their cities. Obviously, New York is a fantastic place. You know, I think of these things as kind of pilgrimages um, until recently. Didn't really necessarily have the resources or the know-how to get to a lot of these places. So getting to visit Please Don't Tell and... Death and Company uh, in one night was a good and a great and a bad idea. But, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure when I was, you know, when I was younger, I wouldn't have even uh, I wouldn't have even attempted to uh, make it out to those places. So Death and Co. is very, very famous cocktail bar in New York. They have a noteworthy book uh, that a lot of people who do the lightning round on the podcast, they recommend the Death and Co. book. Uh, which is kind of it t- takes you through their menu, how they uh, approach cocktails. What was that bar experience like? Can you paint a picture for us? Because I know a lot of people. We've actually gotten pinged on Facebook. Somebody will, you know, Facebook message us and be like, "Hey, Eric, I'm heading to New York. What are some bar recommendations?" And Death and Co is all, always on there based on what I know about it, but I've never experienced it myself. So to it kind of give us the the four one one. So the nice thing about these places is it's a it is a it is an experience for quality of drink but really what you're getting is you know I think a lot of our listeners already have this but you know you get what it would be thought of as the premier hospitality experience um, it is a very controlled environment I think that is you know they are trying to eliminate variability on my end of the bar so that on their end of the bar they can do whatever is going to delight the customer the most like a good cocktail bar in new york it's very it's very dark um it's cozy they you know it's a seating only place and um and really the you know the trick with all that stuff is frustrating but necessary which is you get yourself put on some lists you wait for your text message to come at a lesser location around the corner and then you hustle over there so um, i would say that was the case there as well as at dead rabbit and um also at some of my you know, favorite spots in Nashville, you know, after you get a little bit jaded with the honky tonks, you do find out that there's a pretty good culture there. I'm going to just going to have to plug Attaboy and the Fox as, you know, two of those, you know, hit two of those hidden spots that stay deliberately hidden. But, you know, they, they make up for what I think is kind of a well-worn cliche, which is we're just going to be a door that you have to knock on and then we'll see if we have room for you inside. You know, they do have that going for them or you know going against them but the people inside are fantastic with just taking a small amount of input from the from the bar from the bar patron and coming back with something something new and novel yeah for sure i remember when when i visited you in nashville last year you know obviously you have to go out and go to a place where they're serving domestic beer and there's a there's a band playing cover songs of you know everything from willie nelson to you know leonard skinnerd and uh bachelorette parties etc that's part of you gotta at least do that once but uh i remember we went to the patterson house there and that was a really really good cocktail experience it reminded me a lot of the columbia room here in dc uh it was a little little bit larger of an operation in terms of the number of seats available uh they, they obviously ran things a little bit differently but the the, the cocktails and, and the way they uh, approach them kind of almost like a fusion between copycat and the columbia room uh, copycat being a place where you can literally just you know walk up and give them some quick inputs and they'll whip up a drink for you or you can select one that they already have on the menu and then the columbia room in that you know, they, they kind of, it's hard to describe, but they really, it's a hospitality thing. The way that, you know, from the very moment where you have been seated to the moment when you receive the check, you, you feel like there's an elevated level of hospitality. And that reminded me of the Columbia Room places like you're describing, Death & Co. Yeah, while taking us back out of D.C., I want to just, you know, again, plug the fact that this is just an incredible amount of care being put into the experience, every element of the experience of the person coming in the door. That can be said of a lot of places around the world. I think that's, that's what, that's what good hospitality is. But one thing that you, that we picked up on, um, you know, when you were describing your experience coming to visit me is that, you know, when I go and travel to these places, it's sort of a, 
I like to say that it's a good that it's that you should aim for at least 50 50 or ideally 75 25 where you are um, do do what that place is for and I don't want to want to shoehorn or specific types of drinking into locations but you know when I when I lived briefly in Pittsburgh I spent most of my time at dive bars but it's kind of a you know you you don't want to follow the cliches and I actually would encourage anyone listening to be demanding without being obnoxious in that you shouldn't assume like a great example is I didn't assume that I would only be drinking Guinness and whiskey in Dublin and did start to explore and try to find a find out what Irish bartenders were doing with their own cocktail culture. Same being true of every other city I've lived in. And I think that's the that's the way to do it. If you've got something that you know you like, go after that too. You might not find it, but um, you might be surprised that there is a that there's an enclave of that kind of uh, that kind of experience going on. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, uh, do what do what the city is for, you know. Or if you you know if you go on a cruise to the Caribbean, drink some tiki drinks, drink some fancy rum drinks. But then I think it's also uh, a really good piece of advice to to start asking questions of the places that you visit. We've got uh, got your dog here chewing on a chewing on a little bone. Hey, Bo. Hey, Bo. Um, keep, keep it down, down over there. there. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So we've got some good bar recommendations. I'd, I'd really love at some point if we had the resources to put together like a uh, set of destinations in some of the major cities in the U.S. for people who are looking to, you know, hit up a good cocktail bar while they travel. So if that sounds like it's interesting to you, give us a quick shout out on social at Modern Bar Cart on Facebook or Instagram, or hit us up by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com. A couple things. A, just tell us if you want that from us and we'll try and put it together. And or B, if you happen to be in one of these cities and you know for a fact that there are some really great cocktail bars, send us a list of those with some links and you know that'll help us to actually speed along this process if indeed there is some interest. So good, good recommendations on travel and bar drinking, but what about when you don't have that convenient cocktail bar right around the corner from your hotel? What are some of the like DIY travel drinking experiences that you've had recently? Yeah, so one of my favorite things to do, this isn't going to quite hit the experience or the you know quality of a really well-crafted cocktail, and honestly, I'm not interested in toting a portable version of my bar all the way around the world, but some of the hacks that I've been able to do are taking a small bottle of bitters along with me on a flight. If I decide I want to make an old-fashioned, it's pretty easy to it's pretty easy to rustle up a sugar packet and a glass of ice with an air, with an airplane bottle of whiskey. It's not it's not the best thing ever, but if you really if that's your go-to drink, you can to some extent take advantage of travel-sized bottles, whether it's travel-sized liquor bottles or even you know, I've never tried this, but it was just occurred to me there is no reason why I couldn't take a small amount of a mixer in a travel-sized shampoo bottle, clean of course, and <laughs> yes. And use that upon my destination. The other one I want to plug is to think about if you're anything like me, um, and you tend to also eat a lot when you travel, is I will often just swing through duty-free, buy a bottle of Campari, and just keep some sparkling water on hand in my hotel or my Airbnb. And that's, would you call a Campari soda a cocktail, or is that just a two-drink mixer? Uh, I mean, it's approaching like a spritz. Um you know, usually in the, the traditional spritz, I believe it's Campari or Aperol, right? The Aperol spritz, Campari, Aperol, and then a little bit of sweet vermouth. But, you know, the nice thing about just doing it with Campari is it's even more sessionable. And if you're going to buy that one bottle, like, you know, this, it it's a little tough to finish a bottle of Campari in a short amount of time but if that's the only thing you got and you've got like a four or five day stay then yeah you can make yourself a couple of spritzes every day and that's a really easy light and super refreshing thing especially if you know maybe uh if you go to the buffet at the hotel for breakfast and they have a couple of oranges kicking around bring one of those back up to the hotel room or you know use that as a little little garnish uh free of charge so one of the things that you said that was 
of course, interesting to me was the travel bottles, like travel size bottles. And I believe uh, what TSA, I could be wrong. And, you know, if you're listening to this at some point in the future, perhaps the rules may have changed by then. So definitely recheck what TSA has to say about this. But I believe it's three ounces. Yeah, it's uh, it's three ounces, and um, I'm sure that in I'm sure that in our age of scraping all the content on the internet, the government will be able to um, intervene and tell you otherwise. If I'm wrong here, um, you can take three ounce bottles. Usually, your standard airplane bottles are what like an ounce and a half or two ounces, and what they'll serve you on the plane is probably going to be pretty limited and set to that size because last thing you want is to have that sloshed airline uh, airline passenger who right you know, managed to sneak a flask in. Right. So the nice thing is we have a really great sampler pack of the Embitterment Organics line. It's got the aromatic orange, lavender, and chocolate in there. Those bottles are only 30 milliliters, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of an ounce, maybe not even an ounce. And uh, so the technically, if you are like me, somebody who really likes to follow the rules because on the off chance that somebody decides to enforce them, you might be screwed. Technically what they say is you got to put your three ounce bottles of whatever into a quart size plastic bag. You are permitted one quart size plastic bag when you travel according to TSA. And if you, you know, go above that, then, you know, you, you might be in trouble. Now you could maybe go with a gallon size and claim, you know, that, that you're not familiar with our system of, of weights and measures, which is, you know, one idea. But you could easily fit that sampler pack into a quart size plastic bag and, you know, also any, you know, any other, you know, little shampoo bottles full of Campari that you, that you might be able to get away with. Um, yeah. And the other thing I'd throw out there is, you know, we're with playing around with all these, uh, with all these rules about travel. Uh, honestly, I think some of the great things about, tra- about, about traveling, about traveling are when you have things, br- when things kind of break down in a way that you can have good humor about them. So things that, that come to mind are, you know, the woman who was informed that she couldn't take her bottle of cognac on the plane, so she attempted to drink the whole thing at the security checkpoint out of spite, and because it was probably some damn good cognac. Um, that that uh, That's something I imagine you might do. Was this in Dublin? No, 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 no. I didn't see this personally. It was a viral internet video, but oh, I, I think about it that way as, you know, if nothing else, you get a good story out of all these things. So, yeah, if they if they decide to take your take your booze, you know, don't bring anything that's irreplaceable but it would be pretty i would honestly get a little bit of a kick out of it if i found out that the authorities were really really concerned about a 30 milliliter bottle of bitters right yeah and so you're totally fine doing that one thing i will say and this is actually something that i didn't realize i did not realize that it was frowned upon to bring your own airplane bottles of liquor onto the plane i i got on a flight i was going to las vegas a couple years ago for a, a marketing conference and so I went to the liquor store here in DC and DC has a very interesting anti-vagrancy policy when it comes to these little, uh, the mini bottles, whether you call them airplane bottles or minis or whatever, because they don't want people just coming in, buying a single bottle, which is a relatively small amount of money. And then just, you know, drinking in public, um, because they want to discourage that in DC, you must buy six of these bottles at a time. And you know, if you got your quart size plastic bag and get at least four of those in there. So I, I was coming onto the plane, packing all these bottles of like little maker's mark bottles. And I was just making myself whiskey ginger after whiskey ginger on this flight. Uh, it was a spirit flight. So the plane was tiny. We had some turbulence and I was doing just fine. And the guys next to me were like high-fiving me because they're like, dude, this guy's like super prepared. Look at him. He doesn't care about the rules. And then I, I realized later on that it was actually frowned upon that, that the airlines want you to buy it from them. Yeah. And I think we could even have a, like, we'll, we'll save this for another episode. Maybe I'll come back and we can do the, uh, how to, how to get alcohol, how to drink in public or get alcohol discreetly into places where you're not supposed to have it. Um, there's plenty of those, uh, plenty of those tricks to go around. And I think one of the, one of the great things about those airline bottles is, yeah, you can pretty much take them anywhere with you, but you didn't hear that from me. Right. Yeah. So one takeaway is be prepared, right? Know what the rules are. And if you're going to break them in a way that benefits you, 
in your cocktailing pursuits, at least be prepared that if, you know, something gets confiscated, like, you know, be prepared to be good natured about it, uh, or at least play dumb. And, uh, the other thing is, you know, like sometimes maybe it's just better to plan ahead and, you know, make your cocktailing arrangements when you touch down in your destination. Yeah. Um, I think, all, I mean, my, my feeling on having traveled, traveling a ton for work, trying to travel a lot on my own is to just keep a, keep a good sense of humor and, um, keep a good sense of humor about it. Don't take yourself too seriously and, um, let things roll off your back. Uh, I don't want to be the person who makes a big scene because I can't get a drink at the time I want one. Uh, that's just, that, that's just not cool. Right. But you know, there, there's a lot of hidden opportunities when you're traveling, especially when it's on a plane. And if you think about like the basic constituents of a cocktail, you've got your spirit. So whether you buy your spirit on the plane or, you know, pick it up at duty free or whatever, you've got your spirit, but then there's other things that you get for free on planes like ice and in many cases like citrus. You could probably get the stewardess to give you half a lime uh, or at least a quarter of it if you're making your gin and tonic, right? So, you know, there's the coffee stir. So if you're stirring something around in the glass, there's a coffee stir. So the, the, the good news is even if things are limited, even if you're kind of coerced into a place where it's like, yeah, I don't have my ideal bar set up. If you look around, there's probably enough stuff at hand for you to throw something together. Yeah. And that's the, and that's the other thing I, I would put out there as a like, good guideline or general rule is use, get creative with the tools you have when you're in your, when you're at your destination, you know, the number of times that I've used a, just a glass jar as an improvised shaker, numerous, um, you know, all those kind of things, especially if you're staying in something like an Airbnb or staying with a friend, you know, leaving behind a bottle, of, leaving behind a bottle of alcohol for them is rarely frowned upon right. and use and using your creative muscles to figure out a way to make a Boston shaker out of a plastic cup and a smaller plastic cup is, right. you know, that, that's just, that's just being a MacGyver. And yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what people uh, sometimes tend to forget that a Boston shaker is little, literally a cup and another cup of a different size. It's, it's brilliant. But I wanted to just quickly touch on what I have as my mobile cocktail setup because you do a lot of plane travel. I do a decent amount of train and automobile travel. And sometimes once I get to my destination, I end up hopping on a boat to boot because my father-in-law used to be in the Coast Guard. He's big into boating. So sometimes I will end up taking things to the water. And the way that I travel with my cocktail kit is I have this big, beefy lunchbox uh, basically it's, it's from my mom's company. And so she was like, Hey, you got any use for this? And, and I said, no, I do not have a use for a lunchbox, but this is a really good size to fit a stirring glass, a shaker and any of the bar spoons and measuring devices that I might need to actually, you know, create a nice cocktail on the go. So if you have access to um, one of those big kind of beefy lunch boxes or like a, even like a soft cooler that you might bring to a, a sports game or something like that. Those really make great on the go bartending kits. If you know you're going to be staying with friends, for example, and you'll yeah. probably have access to their liquor collection, but maybe they don't have the same set of tools that you do. So that's a really good solution. They also do make boutique versions of these travel cocktail hardware kits where you know, I, I actually have one. It's like this little faux leather thing. It's it looks like um, like a roundish valise, which is like a little suitcase, uh, and it's got like little um, like snap loops on the inside where it attaches the uh, pony and jigger. It's got the stirring spoon. It's got a small shaker. It's got a small Hawthorne strainer, and it kind of closes up, and you can carry it with the handle. It's a little bit more stylish than the soft lunchbox that I use, but it's not as big. And it's honestly, it just sits in my living room. Yeah. I mean, a great, a great middle ground. Um, you 
touched on lunchbox. Um, another thing, I know some people still have these, but um, you know, if your family has a camera case lying around from an old big camera, those are great. A tackle box or um, one of those little plastic toolboxes you can get for a couple bucks at Lowe's. Um, those all make those all make great DIY travel cocktail kits, and it's just like anything else. You're just packing it as though you were putting together your toiletry bag. You get you know, a couple bottles of bitters, some some bar spoons, some uh, a jigger or two, and whatever else you think you'll need, and travel along with that. Uh, that's a great way to great way to be a value add to uh, any group beach house trip. To be the guy who can bring the bar. Sure. Right. And it was literally just sitting right here because we're recording uh, here at Casa de Coslick. So I'm just literally going to go through what I have in there. And keep in mind, folks, that. We do events where sometimes we show up, we roll in, and we bring the cocktails. So everyone's happy to see us, but my mobile bar setup might be a little bit more advanced than yours just by necessity. But just to give you some ideas of what you could have and why you might want to have that. So uh, first thing I have is I've got a couple of rags in here because you never know when you show up at someone's kitchen if they're going to want you mopping up Campari with their nice guest towels. So I've got a couple of just, you know, regular white service industry rags in there. Um, always good to have a nut milk bag. I forgot that I had this in there, but nut milk bags, which you can pick up on Amazon for like you know, less than five bucks. These things are really great if you need to filter or strain something without the presence of an actual like sieve. And so, you know, they, they fold up to literally no size whatsoever. They've got a little drawstring on them and they're really great for straining things. So think about a nut milk, milk bag, especially if you want to do uh, any like infusion um, things, you know, you can literally pour your liquor into a pot or a pan and then use that for infusion. Yeah. To be, to be clear, a nut milk bag is not what they drink almond milk out of in Canada. It yeah. is more of a, is more of a um, reusable mesh bag that's got a very fine set of holes in it so that you can strain things out of it. So anything like that um, is really helpful as an imp improvised infusion device. Right. Another option might be cheesecloth, uh, which is a little bit messier, but the, the holes in it are, are bigger. So if, you know, depending on what you're straining and what you want to stay in and out of, of your, of your liquid, that's also an option. I've got a little cutting board here. It's maybe, mm, I don't know, like uh, 10 inches by five inches. Uh, it's perfectly serviceable little thing that you can just pop right up on the bar. Um, of course, with that, I have a little paring knife. I find that you know you, you can buy little paring knives out there uh, that are designed specifically for slicing fruit, but hey, don't bother with that. Just get your least useful or least matchy paring knife out of your, you know, your, your drawer in your kitchen and throw something on it that, that covers the blade. So it doesn't, you know, rip up any, you know, whatever container you're putting it in. What else do we have? I've got this little bar mat. It's like, it's got uh, some textured grippies on the bottom and it's soft on the top. Sometimes that's useful. Again, easy to fold up. I've got these little metal ice scoops. Um, I've got a couple of them because we, again, end up scooping ice at a lot of our events, but an ice scoop is useful. I've got a julep strainer in here. I've got a set of ice tongs. Uh, I've got a couple of jiggers. I have a very analog peeler uh, with some serrated edges that could be used for cutting or zesting. I've got a little muddler. I've got a clothespin. I don't know why I had that, but apparently, you know, clothespins are good to have. I've got a waiter's corkscrew. This is one that I recommend everybody have. And the nice thing about a waiter's corkscrew as opposed to other corkscrews is it's very compact and it has other tools built in. So the waiter's corkscrew has the corkscrew, but it also has a little knife on it for cutting things. And corkscrews are just good to have around because you can also open a bottle of beer with this. Um, so what else do I have? Bar spoons. I've got a little funnel in there. And this is important because if you're doing any sort of batching, chances are you're going to be pouring something from one bottle into another bottle or another vessel. And so having a little funnel around is great to have. And then in the little pocket here, let's see if there are any little, any little toys that I missed. Hmm. Ah, yes. Okay. So I've got pour spouts, which are useful. Those are pretty cheap. You can pick those up on Amazon pretty cheap. And I've got one of those old fashioned -y little, um, I believe they call it a beverage punch or a can punch. Or a church key. Church key. Great. Yeah. Um, 
And this is great if you have a can of something like I'm thinking pineapple juice or something like that. I and mean, most of them have the pull tabs now, but if you're in a place where you've got a can of something you need to open, that's a really good small thing to have. And then finally, I've got some little garnish picks. Um, easy to um, you know just rubber band together and, and throw in there. And also a channel knife. And a channel knife with a little zester attachment is used to create thin little ribbons of citrus. And so if you wanna up your garnish game and impress people with um, you know, your ability to make little uh, beautiful drinks, then you know, that's a channel knife is, is a fun thing to play around with. And this lunchbox is not even really full. So I still have plenty of room to throw in my shaker and my stirring glass. And what I do have for my stirring glass, the last thing I'll mention here in this little rant about my mobile setup is I have a little neoprene sleeve. I got it from Cocktail Kingdom. It was it was pretty inexpensive. It's a little neoprene sleeve that goes around your mixing glass that prevents it from damaging the other things that you're traveling with and prevents it itself from de being damaged. So it's got like a little drawstring on it, a little neoprene bag. It's really, really great. Uh, and I'd highly recommend that if you're gonna be bringing your mixing pint somewhere, that's a good thing to have. Yeah, and the one last thing that I would throw in there is you will, one of the ways that you can really travel light with this stuff um, is look around for things that are made of silicone. It's you know a rubbery material, it's heat resistant, it cleans well, and what you can do is you, I have, I have a set of silicone funnels that literally you can flatten down to almost nothing. A lot of those tools, including jiggers, and I would not do, I would not do a mixing glass, but definitely jiggers and funnels, you can get um, collapsible silicone versions, kind of like the pop-up dog bowls um, that are just save you a ton of space. Right, right. So that's a pretty good rundown of uh, a setup. Do you have any thoughts on flasks? You never have enough. <laughs> I like, a, again, I think we should, you know, some of this will make great fodder for a potential how to sneak booze into things event, but I like the, I like either the, um, the half pint hip flask, the traditional, or, um, if you really want to just make your cocktail beforehand and bring it with you, you can get stainless steel flasks up to half a gallon, uh, that are really handy or just a fun novelty. Right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're the person who walks in with the giant flask. Uh, which is, it, it's good shock value, good reactions. They also make sweaters for some of these, I believe. Yep. <laughs> so check that out on Amazon if you get the chance. But uh, moving on, I want to talk about the other part of traveling, which is also something that you're encountering at this, at this kind of life phase that you're in, which is when you have to travel from one place permanently to another place permanently. Yeah. Um, so... One of the most, I don't want to say annoying things, but I'll call it a little bit irritating, is when you end up having to move and your bar is still relatively full. All that alcohol that you've invested in, maybe things you've infused at home or collected, um, maybe you've got a couple of small barrels that you're doing some aging projects in. Um, you've got all that stuff and there's just no way to drink it all before the movers come. You know, I think there's a lot of ways you can approach um, moving your bar. The first one I would recommend is gifting. You know, one of my one of my favorite things to do has been looking at things on my bar and thinking to myself, uh, well, who of my friends would value this if I couldn't drink it and I wanted them to have it? I've got a friend back in Nashville who's a Scotch fanatic, and I was able to uh, I was able to provide him a couple of. You know, granted, they were maybe a half. You know, they're definitely I'm a half full guy. These yeah. bottles were half full, and um, he was. He was happy to take some single malt off my hand and didn't care that it didn't have a fancy box on it. Right. Yeah. I feel like that gets you good karma down the road, right? Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things we floated uh, didn't happen, and I'm kind of glad because um, I still haven't gotten my security deposit back on the last place, is um, to have a bunch of friends over and drink your bar. Yes. This is uh, the going away party. They're, they're, it will inevitably end interestingly as you get further and further down. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, everyone's, everyone's happy because they get to, you know, say goodbye, you know, say their farewells in a, in a cocktail-y setting, which is fun. You get the benefit of, again, like all of these things that you're recommending here have the added benefit in that, like people really like you. 
yeah. as a result. They're like, oh, the last memory of this person is that they threw a cool party or that they just gifted me two half bottles of scotch. And that actually brings me to a fun little thing that you did uh, with Russell and I, Russell being uh, another member of Modern Bar Cart who uh, does kind of our ops and logistics. But you brought over uh, about a half a dozen half full bottles that you thought that we might be interested in and be able to, you know, kind of help you out, take off your hands. And we lined them up on a table and we did the schoolyard thing of uh, picking teams like we were two of the captains and the bottles were uh, our team. So just explain explain that process. Yeah. So I, uh, I was looking through my bar at the things that I thought were novel and noteworthy, but not necessarily so much that I would take them with me if I had to move to another apartment. I knew that we'd been doing episodes on gin and rum and all sorts of, and mezcal. And so I picked out what I would think of as the six most um, unique or novel items. So not just a nice bottle of bourbon. I know they'll have that at their bar, um, but strange, strange gins, apple brandy, those kind of things. And just told them that they had to settle it among themselves, what they wanted to do, um, to get the bottles that they wanted. Right. Right. So there was, I I think luckily Russell and I have different enough tastes where, uh, there was no, there, there wasn't like that one bottle that both of us wanted more than anything else there. So, so that was good. I ended up with, I believe a high proof rum, a bottle of Applejack, like you mentioned, and a really cool, um, about a third of a bottle of a really cool Japanese whiskey. Um, so that was really neat. And then I think Russell ended up with an overproof Plymouth gin, uh, another type of cool, uh, funky gin that you had. And what was the other thing he ended up with? Oh, he got a great bottle of mezcal. Russell's, uh, uh, Russell's girlfriend is a mezcal fanatic. And, uh, I, uh, I actually expected, I actually expected you to pick that one, um, based on your, based on the episode you did. Yeah, that was, uh, that was the bottle that I was like, "Mm, I really do want that but I also sort of suspected that he was going to want it. So uh, I was okay to fall on that grenade uh, because the grenade that I ended up falling on as a result was overproof rum. And that was very exciting to me because I think, um, you know, now that it's summertime, I was happy to take that, that Ray and nephew uh, right off your hands. So that's a cool little idea. Uh, if anybody out there has just a lot of uh, half bottles that they want to get rid of and you don't particularly want to invite, uh, you know, a dozen people at your house and get them all drunk, um, for the security deposit reason, that's that's a cool little alternative. You could even turn it into a fantasy draft. Like I had, I had thought about um, sending them pictures of like 24 bottles and having them do kind of a scouting report on it. That was just logi- a logistical nightmare. So um, this was a nice uh, middle ground. But maybe sometime in a future place, I'll do that. Yeah, and and so this brings us to the actual move itself. And I've got a couple things to say and a couple questions about that. That what I would say is an overall kind of like bright side to this whole setup is that when you do have to pick up and move you've got kind of the phoenix rising from the ashes right you've got you've got to minimize you have to kill some of your darlings as they say in the poetry profession you know you have to get rid of some bottles that you really enjoy but that might not have too much left in them but on the flip side, you get the opportunity to completely do a refresh chances are the situation that you're moving into has some physical space uh, or logistical affordances that maybe you didn't have at the previous place, maybe also some limitations, but regardless, it's going to be a new setup and you get to kind of have the thrill of approaching things anew, but you've also got the logistics of how do you get it there? My one recommendation is milk crates are awesome for transporting things because they tend to be about the size of a 750 ml bottle. Yeah, maybe the bottles are going to stick up a little bit, but what you can do is you can take some of the clothing that you're bringing that is not maybe your work clothing, maybe just you're kicking around the house clothing, and you can kind of stuff it down in between the bottles and use the the clothing as wadding so that the as the bottles are in transit, they're not clinking against each other and, and you, you have a, a seriously decreased risk of breakage. And my final recommendation on the clothing front that I just remembered is tube socks, especially like the insulated ones that you wear in the winter are amazing. You can stuff a 750 ml bottle into one of those socks and it just cushions it right up. These, this is the way that I've, I've actually traveled home with wine, not in a case, actually in my hard suitcase. Uh, just pack it in. I actually bring, even if it's summer, I'll bring some tube socks with me if I'm going to like a wine destination. 
and I will pack my wine that way. Yeah, I think we, yeah, we should have touched on that a little bit early in the international travel piece. I tend to go to a lot of places that are walkable cities. You know, I spent some time in Turkey and did a similar thing where I had, you know, hiking socks that, you know, I, I did give them a quick, a quick rinse in the sink in my hotel the day before I left, but then I was stuffing wine and Rocky and some other, some other goodies into those things and like, you know, getting them through, uh, getting them through without a single break. Um, I've done that in a couple of countries now. I did that just recently in Dublin with some whiskey and it was no problem. Yeah. Yeah. So they do make, you know, when I, when I shipped wine back from Burgundy, of course I was shipping a couple cases. So, um, you know, then you, you do want to make sure you do the correct import stuff and, and get the, get the styrofoam really well insulated uh, containers and shell out for that. But, um, my one recommendation would just be make sure you have a hard suitcase and not just a duffel bag if you're doing the sock thing. Because yeah. if you get duffel bag, then, you know, you've seen when you're sitting on the plane waiting to deboard, you've seen how those suitcases are treated. And it's not always with kid gloves. So, yeah. And then if you uh, if you don't want um, if you don't want the funk of a sock uh, potentially getting in the way of your drinks or if you just, you know, I know a lot of people are germaphobes or like a or like a more elegant solution, uh, you can get and I'm sure you've seen them. I'm not telling anyone anything they didn't already know, but just just go ahead and Google wine sleeves. You There are some really fancy ones where it's a bag that you then inflate and it creates an air cushion, and then other ones are just a bag made of bubble wrap that is shaped like a bottle. Sure, um, sure. And, and then there are more like reusable ones that are either, I have a neoprene one, and then I actually have one that you gave me that's almost like a quilted or macrame style thing with like a little... Um, it's got like a little elastic thing that closes yep. around the neck of the bottle. So those are, um, I think those are called wine caddies or again, wine sleeves. So check those out. Those are really useful to have. And again, they're not going to break the bank. Yeah. And so those will work with you for moving to get us onto the topic of how do you get the stuff from point A to B. Um, my, my philosophy on this, I like, I like to think of it as, um, I'm going to, you know, kind of borrow loosely from Marie Kondo. And I don't think you have to go quite to the extent with anything when you're moving of pick up each object. And if it does not bring you joy, then get rid of it. Um, I would say that's a fairly good benchmark for the bottles of liquor you take. Um, if it's a home infusion, those make awesome gifts. You should have given that away anyway. If it's a really unique bottle that you don't think you can get in your destination, let's say it is something you picked up overseas that's just completely unique, that makes sense to take it with you. If you are more of, or if you're more miserly and you have that, you know, $250 bottle of single malt that you absolutely were not going to give you your friend, the bottles I gave him for the, uh, for the listeners, uh, information were not $250 bottles of scotch, but those things make sense. But assume that unless you're going to a far flung place or somewhere really remote, that most things can be bought at a liquor store. And this is, again, like Eric said, a good opportunity to rebuild your bar. So, you know, that handle of Evan Williams that's been sitting around the house, um, unless you're on a super tight budget, don't, don't worry about it. Plus, depending on how far you're going, assume that would be the one other thing I'd say is assume or expect that something will break on the move. If you have movers, you know, they're professionals, they're licensed and bonded, but you know, um, don't put any, don't send anything you, you can't afford to lose and definitely, um, and definitely pad it before they take it. If you're going to um, go that route, right? If something breaks, it's your fault. And I like the, I like the, uh, the, the handle as, as a rule, if it comes in a handle, you can get it anywhere. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, or an airplane bottle. Right. Yeah. Handles and airplane bottles are things that big companies do and big companies are everywhere. So good, good tips there. Yeah. Cocktails in motion, whether you're traveling or whether you're moving. This is an interesting episode. I'm, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about these topics. It's not something that perhaps everybody gets to use every day, but I think those few of our listeners that, that are actually about to go on a trip or move that this is this is good information. But before we wrap up, I did have one lightning round question that you have not answered yet. Okay. And uh, that lightning round question is if you are you know metaphorically, if you were a cocktail tool or ingredient, what would you be? So, I would be a julep strainer. Uh the reason I I say that is because Growing up around the house, we had this julep strainer in our kind of miscellaneous kitchen drawer. No one in my family drank anything stronger than beer or wine. 
I don't know where it must have been, you know, an inherited piece from a grandparent or an uncle or something. Um, and those things are just damn versatile. And I like the idea of ha- of being something that is that has a very, you know, a very clear purpose in the boozing world, but is not confined to that. So I can be helpful in the kitchen regardless. Right. Yeah. It's um, it, it, you can if you if you're if you don't have your slotted spoon. Yep. You can just uh, pick up your julep strainer, and it might take a little bit longer, but uh, you, that that is a perfectly fine use for it. Cool. Yeah. Loose teas, all those kind of things. And um, as a quick plug, as you probably guessed through this podcast, um, if you're a listener in Nashville, there is there will be a very short period of time in which I am getting rid of alcohol. So don't find me, but please do if you want to. Gotcha. <laughs> If you really want Ethan's alcohol, please email podcast at modernbarcart.com and I'll forward it to him. Uh, so this is a good opportunity to uh, blow up blow up his inbox, all you Nashvillians. Nashvillians? I believe uh, I believe the hockey team is the Predators, um, but that's a little aggressive. So yeah. we'll call it Nashvillians. Nashvillians. Nash scoundrels. All right. That's it for us. Ethan, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks, Eric. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, boozy travel insights from Ethan Hall, some side commentary from his dog Bo, and a little interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2018.